brought about 7.4 billion US dollars in rice as West Africa. And the idea was not to stop importation. The idea was to be able to compete. Since the new democratic process, we've definitely seen a rejuvenation of the youth. There's more freedom for UN agencies to support all these initiatives that will help Gambians stay in the Gambia, create jobs, and leave us a life worth living in the Gambia. Everybody, including my own family, they were like, why would anybody leave the U.S. to come to the Gambia to do agriculture? Even those in agriculture told me it cannot work. But I said, no, this is what I wanted to do. This is The Lid Is On. I'm Connor Lennon, and this is the last in our mini-series coming to you from the Gambia, the smallest nation on Africa's mainland, where we've been tracing the UN's role in helping this country and its people as it transitions from dictatorship towards full democracy, strong institutions, and a stronger economy. Today, we're going to find out what it takes to be an entrepreneur in the Gambia, officially one of the least developed countries in the world, where bank loans are out of reach for most people, and... If you do qualify, interest rates are often 20% and above. This is Jahele Pacha in the central region of the Gambia. And here is where workers employed by Maroa Farms cultivate Gambian rice. Maroa Farms is run by Musa Dabo. He started the company with his wife when he was working as a telecoms engineer in the US. I went to meet Mr. Dabo and his team on a hot, dry and dusty day where he told me about his plan to help the Gambia reduce its dependence on imported food and become more self-sufficient and resilient. So I was born in uh, 1978 in Bansang. That's about uh, 280 kilometers from the capital, Banjo. I was born to um, farmers, so actually my father does rice production. My mom helps him at the farm. And what was it like when you were growing up with that, that region? Very agricultural? Uh, yes, at that time... The agriculture was really great. Uh, people don't even eat imported rice at the time. They will tell you that imported rice smells bad. Uh, we go to the farm after school and then in the weekends and during holidays. But there was always rice. Everything was local at the time. People, back then, food was from the rural areas to Bancho. What do you think changed? We have... Uh, aging agricultural sector because as we grow up and and start to go to school, few people started to go abroad and to study. And when they come back, everybody was like, oh, there is something better out there. So everybody tries to see how they can leave the country to go abroad. Because of that, um, the kids are not willing to work anymore. They think the only way to make it is to go abroad. And uh, for our parents, they didn't have a choice. Therefore, they did this really good. And you are one of those people who wanted to go abroad. Tell me how that happened. I was doing very well in school. I always wanted to be an engineer. That's what I love passionately from childhood. I, I used to make aeroplanes out of the paper and stuff like that. So I always had this in my mind that I want to go to space. I applied for a school in the U.S. I was admitted. I went to a four-year college in Georgia and then had my bachelor's in electronics and telecommunications, worked for AT&T and Variation Wireless as an engineer. 
the one thing I really hated it was the brain drain to see how people leave Africa go to I mean, Europe or America you can see the influx of immigration into Europe and America and you can see it's becoming I mean a concern but my mind was always like why can't we make this why can't we make our home look look in the same way so I had a plan but my plan was never in agriculture I never intended to go into agriculture um, back in 2012 uh, was when I first received a call from my family back here in the Gambia that they needed to buy a bag of rice but before then uh, we never had to buy rice so I realized uh, that since my father passed in, in 2009 uh, my family back in the Gambia they have stopped the rice production so I thought maybe could have been they needed a pump or maybe I mean a tractor or something but sometime later I was listening to the radio that Africa has about 65 percent of the remaining arable land in the world but we import about 90 percent of our food and then I started you know to get a little bit of a concern another day I went to a store in Ohio to buy rice. On that on that bag of rice, I show um, produced in Mali, processed in China. Then that's when this whole thing, you know, sinked in. I'm like, okay, it was because of this call in 2012 that they wanted to buy rice that made me look into agriculture. So I started going to the rice farmers in California but what I saw there didn't encourage me at all because I saw aeroplanes thinking back I'm like the Gambia doesn't even have an aeroplane as a country and I don't want to go back to the old way of doing rice production because to me that was very labor intensive so I wanted to see if there was a middle ground when I went to Thailand um, I saw they had some I mean the medium range equipment like uh, harvesters, transplanters. I know we can get access to a tractor in the Gambia, but then harvesting is really difficult. Weeding is difficult, transplanting. The whole rice value chain is very level intensive. So when I saw those equipment, I knew there was a middle ground. And to everybody, including my, whole, my own family, they were like, why would anybody leave the US to come to the Gambia? to do agriculture and uh, even those in agriculture told me it cannot work. Why would it not work? Because they said it's very difficult to do and they told me it was better I go and put my money in real estate but I said no this is what I wanted to do. I came initially but nobody paid attention to me even the politicians didn't pay attention to me so I started with three hectares and um, I'm like, okay, let me start and see how this works. So I was not looking for money at the time. I only needed to prove that this works. But, but then from 2013 to 2018, when I came personally, uh, because but nobody believed in me, but, but nobody would help me, me and my wife had worked and put together 180,000 US dollars in cash. 
with two jobs. I cut down everything, worked all those years. I had to loan money, but the banks wouldn't loan me any money. They said agriculture is too risky. Then uh, eventually I wanted to pack up and go back. Then I was lucky to find somebody who loaned me money. Then, but I was able to pay that person back. So, and then um, as I grew, I had all these people think it was a magic. At that rice, one hectare, it could be harvested in one hour instead of two weeks. And it could be harvested by one person. Like instead of 20 people that would be doing it for, for two whole weeks. Now the harvester can do that in one hour and avoid the 30% losses. So that 30%, I don't see it as a loss anymore. I see that as an increase. After we talked, Mr. Darbo was keen to show me around the farm and the transformation of the land since Maruo Farms began to work closely with the local smallholder farmers who, before he began operations, were struggling to make ends meet. It's very hot down here, so... Yes. And this is winter. In about a month, you will see all these up to the tree lines will all be ploughed and will all be planted with rice and then for the same thing for all these areas here. So I have to help all these people. This is still part of the area for the smallholder farmers. This is the um, rice field, our own in-house production area. Whatever we grow though, we grow it as seed for the farmers so that the farmers can buy that seed now to grow their own crops because seed production is one of the hardest things. So this is where we're going to stop, I guess, right? Yes. This is then we can turn around. Let's go around here and turn, yeah, turn sure. around. Yeah. So you see, even so, right now the only thing that's not, I mean, the mechanized is the planting of the rice, which is what they're doing now. Yes, but we are working on that. I think it will be interesting for you to see how we get access to the water. Yeah, because it hasn't rained for what four months, I think, mm -hmm. a long time. It only rains for four months. Actually, right. it's only rained for. So the water access is right there, about just 200 meters from here. I can yeah. show you that. Yes, please do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You will see how all this water is flowing out. Now, now flowing out, and you can see on the other side. But if we have high tide, then the water comes all the way up here. This right. side is higher than the other side. Then if you open this gate, then the water will start flowing. For January and February, the water table is very low. So that's why the farmers are not able to start on time. But if they use pump irrigation, buying fuel becomes a problem. But pump irrigation it is the best because you are in full control of all the parameters. They can do pump if we can make it less labor intensive, less I mean, the costly and more profitable. This place was done so that smallholder farmers can use it, but they were never able to use it. So I came in, it was all I mean the bush, even though the structure was there, but this was all a bush. So I had to take the trees down. And now all we can see on either side is just 
These rice fields? Yes. So this whole area here going around the three lines is my area. So right now uh, they are transplanting. Transplanting is the process um, when the nurseries are due to move them from the nursery bed into the, into the field. This is what they are doing right now. And they're going to be covering this, this whole area? Oh, yes, they're going to be covering this whole area. And uh, in most cases, as you can see, transplanting is done 100% by I mean, the women. It looks like hard work. How many hours are they out here? And it's very hot as well. Uh, yes, it's hot. So this is about half a hectare. And uh, 20 people will take about four to five hours to do half a hectare, 20 women. So now you can imagine to do one hectare, will take them 10 days. So that means you have to transport them. This is why I have a, um, like this big truck, where normally it will go get up to 50 to 60 people every day. Okay. Because they have no transport, they, they need you to come and pick no them up. They have no transport, and then the fields are far away from their homes. At times people are as far as um, 15 to 20 kilometers. But they want jobs, but they want to work, they want to feed their families. They will call every day asking if there is a job that they can do. So we give a chance to each village in tons so that they can come and work and make some money. Mariam Ali is one of the Maruo Farms workers. A supervisor, she oversees the work of around 24 women working outside in all weather, growing and harvesting rice. When she starts working with Maro Farm, her life is changing positively. As a farmer, uh, she hardly has uh, equipment to plow her farm. Likewise, fertilizer also was used to be her constant, but now everything is made easy. With the small thing that she earned from Maro Farm, her plowed back to the family. Equally, she also do some savings. But since she joined Maro Farm, she she was able to at least uh, start making some savings to the bank for future benefits. She is very happy working with them because whatever we ask them to do, the way we wanted as Mara Farm, the way they want the work to be, the ladies will work towards that. And uh, being the leader, she is very happy about that attitude of people willing to learn and also adapting to, to, to innovative that Mara Farm Seeing the success of Maroa Farms is impressive, but people like Musa Dabo still face many hurdles if they want to get a company off the ground. To find out more, I went to speak to Sira Foon, an investment officer at the UN Capital Development Fund in the capital, Banjul. So it's the financial landscape, um, 22 years of dictatorship, but also it's that um, it's the, they don't have collateral. Most of these banks, commercial banks in the Gambia, they require a collateral element of giving loans, but also the interest rates are so prohibitive. In the Gambia, they go from 20 to 23 percent. Oh wow! I mean, that's that's huge. That is very steep. And how can a business, small small business, survive? So in UNCDF, we give seed capital grants with the hopes that we can de-risk these um, small medium enterprises and give the confidence in the banks um, to work with them on concessional um, concessional interest rates. On the other side, we're also trying to work with the central bank on a credit guarantee scheme because we understand that there needs to be a pilot, there needs to be um, somewhere to start, a baseline. 
So we hope with the support of the central bank that we can also help the banks in guaranteeing them to give them more confidence to um, lend to these business owners. I always knew that it could be profitable because there is a need for it. Remember, I said we import about 7.4 billion US dollars in rice as West Africa. And the idea was not to stop importation. The idea was to be able to compete. We could be more innovative. As an engineer, my whole job is innovation. And you're competing against imports from places like China. Are you able to compete on price? Uh, yes. Right now, I can compete them on price right now at this time. Is that difficult? It's not difficult. All you need is the right infrastructure and then the right equipment. I cannot meet the demand. I, I don't even have an outlet. Everything is bought right from the farm. Does it all go to local people? All goes to local people and schools. The rice is sold even before it's harvested. Things have been better now the last few years in the Gambia. Is that encouraging more people like you who've been successful elsewhere to come back? Yes. In fact, right now, there are a few people around. And um, though the struggle I had to go through, I'm not allowing them to go through the struggle. They don't have to struggle with, with equipment. I tell them if you have the starting capital to buy your inputs and then pay your operational needs, then the, um, all the capital equipment and stuff, I have them. We can share them with a promise that in two years you'll buy your own tractor. If you make profit the next two years you'll buy your own harvester. Then you also start to serve some of the smallholder farmers because I cannot do it alone and there is no competition. This is the only area where there is no competition. We just need to encourage more and more and more people. The only unfortunate part is not many people understand that in agriculture, um, plants are like babies. They need your attention every day. I cannot even sleep in Banjo. I have a house there, but I cannot sleep there. So if you want to invest in agriculture, you have to be in the field. Every morning I come here at 7 a.m. and I don't go home until 11 or midnight. It's like a home to all of us. Since the new democratic process, we've definitely seen a rejuvenation of the youth. If you know anything you would know about Gambia, you would know that we have a huge um, backway problem. They call it um, the irregular migration. And that was mostly due to like so many of these youth having no hope. Like You would go to school, you can't get a job just hanging around. So they would use this dangerous, dangerous um, Mediterranean, Mediterranean passage to go to Europe. And that was a big, big issue for the government. And since, since the new government, the inception of this new government, um, it's been better. There have been more UN agencies that have been comfortable now. They're not, um, they're not being very, they're not being denied access. So there's more freedom for UN agencies and the whole idea of one UN working and not to, to, not, to, to not duplicate function, we're working together in sync to support all these initiatives that will help Gambians stay in the Gambia, create jobs, uh, and leave us um, a life worth living in the Gambia. So that's the, one of the biggest changes I've seen. Like, um, there's more students going to the university. There's more entrepreneurship. My sister's an entrepreneur now. Like, we didn't grow up with entrepreneurship on our mind. We didn't grow up with creating our own jobs, making our own money. The whole idea was to go to school and then work in an office. But now, like, you can see an actual cultural reset. We all know about what the UN does in terms of humanitarian aid, yeah. peace and security, things like that. But fewer people know about this 
this role that you have in basically supporting an economy to help itself. Yes. Is that one of the attractions for you? Yes. Um, UNCDF is very different in that we aim to become the subnational finance arm of UN. You mean like for local authorities? For, lo for local authorities, but also like subnational, like private sector also. Um, I, we think like in the wider scope of the UN, it's, some, uh, it's one area that is completely, um, not always, but most often like looked over. And so we found our niche and we've become very good at it and we're borrowing like experiences from other countries UNCDF is in. UNCDF is in 46 least developed countries. And we've had a lot of experience in like, you know, supporting local governments, small and medium enterprises. We're unique in the Gambia that it's a very small country. We're, we're rediscovering democracy. And the government is very keen. Um, they know the value proposition that a UN offers and they're very keen to work with us. And the vision is job creation. The vision is uh, SDG one, like you know, end to poverty, you know, and all of that. So they do understand the vision. If Maruo is not growing, you are holding back lots of Gambian smallholder farmers. So basically, I still see this as UN on their humanitarian mission, because instead of buying food for for those farmers, looking at the number of households and then the number of people impacted is a lot. Remember the aid from the UN has also encouraged so many farmers to come back into the field. Now they are like, well, Maru is here now. They are providing these services. So we think we should be able to go back and now it will be easier and more profitable for us. What is your vision for the future of the Gambia? Um, is to see that Gambia export rice is to see many more people you know uh, employed through agriculture I have a plan to have more than 30,000 young people into agriculture I have a plan to make about 5,000 entrepreneurs each owning their own business in agriculture Musa Dabo the owner of Maru Farms and we also heard Sarah Foon, investment officer at the UN Capital Development Fund. This is the last in our five-part mini-series recorded in The Gambia. You can find the earlier episodes by subscribing to The Lid Is On wherever you get your podcasts. And if that isn't enough, we have a series of text features on The Gambia and a video series which was also shot during our trip in early February 2023. If you want to get in touch with comments or suggestions for future topics, you can email me the lid is on at un.org. That's the lid is on at un.org.